Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. His speech colored the canvas of the cosmos. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. But this new creation, the very good dwelling in delight, reached for mouth-watering wisdom and took a bite. With paradise behind them, they trod the dirt from which they'd been made, hoping, praying someday the voice would enter our world. He did, and nothing would ever be the same. Welcome, everybody. Glad you could join us. I want to welcome all of you, whether you're at one of our campuses, one of our video venues, at one of our microchurches, no matter where you are, even in the world. We have people in over 30 countries that join us, and I'm so glad that you're with us. I have a question for you. Are you ready for this? What do you think is America's favorite pastime? And if you're from another nation watching, what do you think is a favorite pastime, the thing that your nation just loves to do? Now, I think I know what is America's favorite pastime, and I think it's also true of every other nation. You ready? Here's the great reveal. It is sin. Now, those of you living in the States weren't expecting that. You thought I'd probably say football or baseball, or if you are in California, maybe surfing. But it's sin. And let's just be all honest. Sin is sometimes enjoyable. Maybe you enjoyed some sin this past week. Well, why is it that we, even as Christians, struggle with this whole area of sin? Why is it sometimes we love our sin more than God? And why is it that so many people are, are willing to die because of sin and face its consequences rather than realizing that Jesus died for their sin so they wouldn't have to face any consequences? Why is it that we uh, don't like to admit that the things we do sometimes that are wrong are sin? I mean, it's easier to say they're a mistake, but a sin? And who wants to be called a sinner? Even we as Christians don't like thinking about the things that we do as sin or being called a sinner. I mean, the next time your spouse, your kids, or parent, or friend does something that's obviously wrong, just say to them, hey, that's sin. You're a sinner. I bet you it won't go over real well. We don't like thinking that way. We don't like feeling that way. We struggle with sin. I mean, it's part of our lives, it's part of our world, but we, we just we kind of dance around it. We don't know what to do with it. We'd rather talk about the fact that God is love and God forgives and God's mercy and heaven and eternal life, but this whole idea of sin is just uncomfortable. In fact, you know, there's actually a time in our history as a country here in the United States, around the late 1800s to early 1900s, that we thought we were going to beat sin. In, in other words, it was believed amongst the ed educated and the elite that, that we could make everybody good, that we would overcome badness, and the world was progressing, we're going to turn a corner, we're going to have a new era, you know, uh, the age of Aquarius, harmony and understanding, you know, all of that would happen. In fact, there was this guy named Clarence Darrow. He uh, had been an attorney in the famous Scopes trial. He defended the idea that evolution 
should be taught in schools because we have all evolved from a lower life form. But this guy gave a speech in Chicago at Cook County Jail. And I want to read to you what he said. Listen to this. He said, there's not a single person in jail who's there because they deserve it. Now, if you know, you're in jail, I suppose you kind of like that, right? Not me. The next guy belongs here, but not me. Anyone who does a crime, says Clarence, anyone who is in jail is there because they cannot avoid it on account of circumstances beyond their control, for which they are in no way responsible. In other words, you know, people misbehave because of genetics or uh, because of a bad upbringing or lack of education or a bad social system. And, and so we're going to educate everybody. We're going to, you know, make sure everybody has everything fair and equal. And, and we're just going to get rid of this whole idea of evil, of bad, of sin. And then World War I came, World War II, and wars ever since, and genocide, and all the ugly things that we see in our world. And that whole idea got tossed out the window because you had educated people, you had wealthy people, you had religious people that were all part of these horrible things that were taking place. And besides that, if you think you can get rid of sin, if you think sin doesn't really exist, then you have, you have nothing by which to pin morals on, right? I mean, you can't, you can't ever call anything right or wrong. It's like sin is there because morality exists and people don't always behave in a moral kind of way. So why do we struggle so much with sin when it's so obvious that it's there and it's a problem in our world and it's a problem that's gotten worse not better despite all of our advancement technology and you name it i think one of the problems that people have with sin is it just seems so dehumanizing and in many ways sometimes the way we talk about sin and the way we quote treat sinners is dehumanizing you know, it is possible that maybe even those of us who are followers of Christ don't really understand what sin is. If you don't understand what something is, you don't then always speak properly about it. And for those who aren't followers of Christ, oftentimes they feel like it's an us and them kind of thing. They feel talked down to. They feel like they're second class because of sin, because they are sinners. So where do we go to to kind of get things right when it comes to this whole issue of sin. I guess another way to ask the question is, what does God say about it? In a few minutes, we'll see what God says about it, but I do want to welcome you back. We are in this series called From Head to Leb, From Our Mind to Our Hearts to Our Interior. We want a relationship with God, not just based on our knowledge about God, but we want a heart relationship with God as well. And so we started out by talking about who Jesus is. And I shared with you, I think, a lot of verses, but also a lot of just good logic and thinking that you know, Jesus can't just be a man. He is the Son of God. And then last weekend, we talked about, well, who are we? Well, if Jesus indeed is God. If he's the creator, that makes us his creation. We looked at the blessings and the benefits of being God's creation. This weekend, 
If you haven't figured it out already, we're talking about the mess this world has gotten into, this whole issue of sin. What does God say about it? We go back to John the Apostle. He's kind of our guide in all of this. He's leading us into this relationship with Christ. In this first season, we're just talking about beginnings. What I mean by that is we're just, we're just beginning to explore who Jesus is, who we are, what happened in this world before we actually start this journey with him. So what happened? Here's what John says. It says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full, I just love this, of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And we're going to talk more about what it means to see the glory of God next weekend. Have you ever seen the glory of God? What does that even mean? We'll talk about it next weekend. But right now, John is telling us a couple of things when it comes to the whole issue of sin. He's telling us, first of all, that uh, sin is a universal problem, okay? He says he came to his own. That means he came to the Jewish people, right? And they didn't even accept him. They rejected him. He came to the world. He came to the Gentiles. And they rejected him. So the whole world, his whole creation rejected him. That's why the Bible reminds us that in Romans, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all of us have sinned, and all of us, in that sense, are sinners. Paul goes on in Romans 6.23, he says, there's a consequence to our sin. The wages of sin is death, because we're in defiance against God. That's what sin is, is defying God as a result. John also makes it kind of clear in this passage that not only is sin universal, but look at this. Sin is a religious problem as well. See, what do you mean by that? Well, in a couple of weeks, when we start our second season, we're going to meet a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And uh, Nicodemus is about as straight-laced as you can get. In fact, Jesus refers to him as, you know, a prominent teacher in Israel, a respected teacher of Israel in John chapter 3. He was a, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a legalist. He was a moralist. He was squeaky clean. And yet Jesus says to this guy, Nicodemus, unless you are reborn spiritually, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Can you imagine being Nick and hearing that? What goes to your mind? And I've dotted the I's, I've crossed the T, and I'm not going to make it in the kingdom of God? I mean, if you were putting Nicodemus up on a stand with the Gentile corrupt governor Pilate who ordered the execution of Jesus, they would both wear the same name tags. Hi, my name is Nick. I'm a sinner. Hi, my name is Pilate. I'm a sinner. He just blew Nicodemus and the Pharisees away. And Jesus would look at them and tell them that they needed a spiritual rebirth. 
because of the sin in their life. And Jesus drove this home. He once told a parable about this tax collector who had come to grips with how sinful he was. And he comes to worship God. He can't even lift his head up to the temple. And he just beats his chest. And he says, God, you know, have mercy on me. I'm such a sinner. Not too far away is a Pharisee like Nicodemus. And he stands there and he speaks to God and he says, thank God I'm not like these other sinners, thieves and adulterers, corrupt people. And thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector, the worst of sinners. And Jesus' point was in that parable, who's, who's really the most sinful here? It's the guy who cannot recognize how sinful he really is. In fact, Jesus goes on in a passage of Scripture, and he says this. Let me read it for you. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes and says to us, you know, there are a lot of people who are terribly religious on the outside. They seem very moral, very squeaky clean, so to speak. They said they worship a phantom God. What he means by that is simply, is simply this. They've created an imaginary God in their mind who approves of their own self-righteousness, their good works, their goodness. And that God also sees them as being superior in comparison to other people, and they feel justified. Me? A sinner? No. I don't behave like that. I don't do those things. So there's a religious issue when it comes to people and their sins and the corruption that is there. So that, you know, the question that kind of leads to as we're thinking this through is, well then, you know, what is sin? When it's all said and done, what is sin? And to answer that question, we have to go back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning. Remember in the book of Genesis, you have this tree, all right? I know it looks more like a flower, but imagine that's a tree. And then you've got all these other trees in the garden. I mean, they're everywhere, right? And God creates the man and the woman, puts them in the garden, okay? So there he is. Well, her hair is straight up today. And there she is, all right? And God says, you can have fruit from any of these trees in the garden. Eat all you want. But there's this one tree, God says, that belongs to me. And Adam and Eve, I want you to honor me by not taking the fruit that's on that tree. Now, what's beautiful about this is God doesn't give them a bunch of rules and regulations. He doesn't say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's all about relationship. He just simply says to them, I just, I want you to honor me. I gave you a free will. I gave you something pretty special, something unique. And I want you to use that to honor me. Would you do that? And everything was good. And then the divider, the deceiver, 
shows up, the evil one, the form of a serpent. And he says to the woman and to the man, why are you listening to him? I'm paraphrasing, of course. You can read it in Genesis 3. Why are you listening to God? Why do you want to honor God? Honor yourself. Go with your gut. Go with your feelings. That fruit looks beautiful, doesn't it? And don't you want to be God? Don't you want to be in charge of your own life? And there, Adam and Eve began to mull over the temptation. Should we? Shouldn't we? Should I? Shouldn't I? And that's when they got into big trouble. Because at that moment, when they started mulling over this temptation, Keller says they didn't behaviorally sin yet, but he says, watch this. He says, their hearts had left the train station. You know, we talk about the train has left the station. Their hearts had left the station. I like some of the old movies. We had the steam locomotives, you know, the steam trains, and they, they, it's like in the westerns, and it kind of leaves the station. You watch it going. It's the camera shot pans it out, and you hear that whistle, and pretty soon that whistle fades away. Choo-choo, choo-choo, choo-choo. <laughs> That's what happens to you and me, our hearts. Our hearts just run away with that temptation that's in front of us. So I thought I'd, I'd make this more palatable, more real for you and me, because every day your heart and my heart is tempted to leave the station. And I'm telling you, once it goes, it is so hard to bring it back. So I've got uh, this little table here and there's this black cloth that's covering up something that our producer, Stacy, told me is not for me. She said, you can have all the animal cookies that are back in our green room that you want, but you cannot have what's here. So I have a choice. I can either walk away from this because it's not for me. That's cool. That's good. Ignore it totally. And I'm, and I'm in a good place. Or I can begin to mull over what's under here. And I could begin to think to myself, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I could say, well, I wonder what's under there anyway. And I can take off the top and lo and behold, there is a beautiful cupcake here. Now I'm in trouble. The train is starting to leave the station. Because as I look at this beautiful cupcake, I think to myself, you know something? Uh, I am the senior pastor, and I am hungry. And I haven't eaten much. And listen, you know, there are cupcakes that are available that she could go and get. Surely she would understand that, man, it smells good, that this would be okay and it looks so good, and ooh, mm, that frosting is amazing, and I love chocolate. Okay, do you see what just happened? The train left the station. I began to mull it over, and that's when I got in trouble. Hey, I have a question for you. 
What are you mulling over in your mind right now? Who is it you're mulling over? What is it you're mulling over? What's that thing that you're thinking about? Should I or shouldn't I? See, the minute we start questioning something we know is wrong, do you know what's happening? We're beginning to judge God now. And when you start judging God, when you elevate yourself to that place of deciding if it's really right or if it's really wrong, that's when you're in trouble. So what are you mulling over right now? What's that thing or that person that you know you need to stay away? You know it's not for you. You shouldn't go to that website. You shouldn't entertain those emotions and feelings. You shouldn't have that rendezvous. What are you mulling over? Don't let your heart leave the station. See, well, what then? You know, what is sin? You keep telling us about what sin does to us, but what, what is the essence of sin? Well, let's answer that. The essence of sin is pride. It is pride that causes me to mull over that temptation. It is pride that causes me to follow through on it. Pride is like a gateway drug. C.S. Lewis says, pride is where sin starts and leads to every other sin. And pride is what we struggle with in our lives. And pride is what ultimately gets us into trouble. Say, well, what is pride? Well, C.S. Lewis describes pride for us in ways that can help us understand if we are struggling with it in our lives. First of all, he says that pride is competitive. Pride is competitive. Pride thinks to itself, what I have is not enough. I need more. And if you have it, I need more of it than you have. So there's a competition that comes to pride. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I need more. Secondly, he says that the more pride you have, the more you dislike it in others. Ouch! (laughs) That stings. The more pride you have, the more you dislike it in others because it reminds you of your own pride. And thirdly, he says pride tries to control God. Now, there are three ways that pride tries to control God, says Tim Keller, and I think he's right about these. First, it's just a denial, you know, that, that, that God exists. I mean, if I just convince myself there is no God, then I don't have any problem anymore, right? That's one way to control God. The second way is to um, say that I believe in God, but I don't necessarily agree with everything he said. And the way I get around that is because he probably didn't say it. Somebody else put it in the Bible. God certainly didn't mean that about sexuality. God certainly didn't mean that about an attitude. And so I come up with a way to kind of push all that aside. And and I've done what religious people do is I've created a phantom God now who basically is me, all right? And I imagine what I would be like if I were God, and I certainly wouldn't be hard on me. It'd be hard on you, but it wouldn't be hard on me. And the third way that we try to control God is by simply dotting the I's and crossing all the T's. I mean, doing our best like Nicodemus and the others to keep all the rules and all the regulations. You see, that then puts God in kind of an obligation towards me. I did everything right, God. Why did you let this happen? Now God's on the spot. 
Why did you let this take place? How could you do this, God? Look how good I've been. And I have known believers, some of them pastors and missionaries who have struggled with that because they've given their all to God and then something goes wrong in their life or in their ministry. And they just, it's like, God, how can you let this happen to me? Look at all I've done for you. You see what the problem is? How's, how's it going in your life? How's the issue of, of pride working out in your life these days? How are you struggling with pride? Now, I wish I could tell you that pride was never an issue for me. But I have to deal with it all the time. Probably just like you do. And in fact, this past week, I had an episode with pride. Uh, I was invited to come and uh, speak at a uh, global alliance, a coalition of all kinds of uh, ministries, parachurch ministries, organizations, and churches. Whitdale's part of it as well. And the whole goal is coming together to plant churches here, near, and far. The ultimate hope is that on this earth there would be a church within range of every thousand people, that you'd be able to walk to that church, you'd be able to get to that church. And so I was set to speak at one of the main sessions, actually the last session, And so I went on Tuesday, that's when it started, and then there was Wednesday, and I would speak Thursday, and I began to listen to the main speakers in those sessions, and I thought to myself, wow, these men and women are really good communicators, and their stories are so powerful, and the way they're, you know, dealing with the scriptures is so good, and I began thinking to myself, you know, by the time I get up, on Thursday morning, I'm not sure there'll be much left that, that can be said that they haven't already said. And, and I don't know if I can, you know, if I can match their caliber and their, their abilities. They're, they're, just, they're just good at what they do. And, and then all of a sudden, inside of me, I found myself getting kind of critical of these speakers. Uh, the way they dress, I thought that was kind of important you know, inappropriate to wear that on stage in front of this big audience, or I'm not sure that's a true story that he just told. And, well, I don't like, you know, how cocky he comes across. And I'm not sure that passage is really being uh, uh, interpreted the right way. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, my goodness, that's pride. There's competition there. There's nitpicking there. There's criticalness there. I don't like what I see in them, which is really what I'm seeing in myself. And I realize I have to, I gotta go deal with pride. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen your pride, but I have a picture of it. I have a picture of my pride and your pride. And you know what? They all look the same. Here's, here's the picture I have of pride. Remember this guy from Lord of the Rings? Schmeagel, Gollum, right? I mean, what an ugly character. Pride, greed took over his life. He used to be a nice hobbit. Now he's this monstrous, ugly creature. I just want you to know that that exists in every one of us, in you and in me. And it's pride. It's ultimately what pride is like. Man, that's ugly to look at. It is scary to look at. But that's what we are like. 
with our pride. So what I did is I, I took my pride and I went up to my room and I dealt with my pride. I dealt with my pride. Now, how do you deal with your pride? How do you deal with sin? How do you heal sin in your life? What I did was this. I imagine that in my heart, so this is going to be a giant heart, is a throne. And the question is, who is sitting on the throne? Is my pride sitting on the throne? Or is Jesus sitting on the throne? And so what I had to do in my room is I had to go and dethrone my pride. And the way I did that is I just humbled myself before the Lord. And I said, Lord, this is not good. This is not healthy. This is not right. And I ask you to forgive me. And I just imagine in my mind Jesus taking that scoundrel off the throne and sitting there. And I just, I just submitted myself to him and I began to pray for the speakers and thank God for the speakers and think about the things I was learning from those speakers. And you know what? I committed my speaking time to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not there to impress anybody. I'm not there to compete with anybody. I have no pride in this, Lord. Just use me. And I love, I love how God answers prayers like that. I love how, how he humbles us sometimes because Thursday came around and uh, it was my turn to speak. And I, and I was ready and uh, they did something different that morning. I'm not sure why. Every other morning, they would start with, you know, like 10 minutes of music to kind of get everybody into the room because it started at eight and a lot of them are like, you know, folks that, come to church sometimes, they kind of come halfway through the service. Well, you know, these are all pastors, ministry leaders, right? And, and at eight o'clock, I mean, this is giant ballroom with only a handful of people in there and no music, just going to start with me. And so I'm supposed to go up and speak. I'm being introduced. And one of the tech people wanted to fix something with my headset that I was wearing. And so he took it off and then got it kind of twisted around and couldn't get it back on again. My name is being announced, all right? The person's waiting for me to come up. This thing won't fit right. So I just go up, right? I go up and this thing's hanging all over my head. My glasses are all cockeyed because it's, you know, messed up my, my frames. So I have to take my glasses off, set them down, okay? I need a podium. They forgot to put the podium up for my notes. So then I'm trying to fix my my headset, I'm asking for a podium, I'm trying to hang on to my notes, I got my glasses off, and, and uh, it just, you know, normally that would have just put me on the edge. <laughs> normally that would have upset me, I would have been angry, I would have thought, you know, what is wrong with you people? Why, you know, did it all go well until today? Why are you doing this to me? You're upsetting me, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm losing my place, and, you know, I'm losing time, but none of that happened. None of that happened. It was as though I was on Valium. <laughs> I mean, I was calm. I was relaxed. I had fun with it. I laughed about it. People were filtering in while I was talking. It didn't bother me. I just shared what I knew God had placed on my heart despite the obstacles. And when I sat down, I felt, 
I felt good about it. I didn't need anybody to tell me that I'd done a good job or a poor job. I didn't need anybody to apologize to me for what happened. I didn't lose my cool. I was good with it. And that was because I had taken the time to dethrone my pride. Sin does nothing more than upset us, create havoc in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, with our friends, in the church, outside of the church, when we let it sit on the throne of our hearts. So my question to you is who is on the throne of your life? You know, right where you are, would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? And if you're at one of our campuses, I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastor because I want to give you an opportunity to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. And especially if you've never done that before. Our campus pastor is going to share with you how you can do that. So listen to what he says. For those of you who are with me online, I just want to ask you to visualize in your mind right now a throne. And imagine that throne is in your heart. Be honest for a minute. Who's sitting on that throne? Is it you? Your pride? How you're going to do life? Is life about you? Is life about honoring you? Or is Jesus on that throne? And are you honoring him? You know, if you've never enthroned Christ in your life before, I would love to invite you to do that with me right now. If it's your earnest heart's desire, then you can say a prayer as simple as this with me. Quietly there to yourself, just simply say, Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Lord, I want you to sit on the throne of my heart. Please take your place. Help me to begin this journey with you, to love you, to know you, and to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Say, is it really that simple? It is that simple, but you got to mean it with your heart. And I, we would love to help you in this spiritual journey. So if you have just enthroned Christ the first time in your life, would you do me a favor? Would you email us at wooddale.org slash yes and just simply say, I said yes to Jesus today. I've got some digital helpful tools I want to send you that will help you begin your journey and your walk with Jesus. Now, for those of you who have made that decision in the past, you know, the Apostle Paul teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 12 that sometimes, you know, we have a tendency to crawl back on the throne again and try to sit there with Jesus And maybe you realize in the course of this message, you've done something like that. Yours is not to receive Christ again. He already lives in your life. Yours is to give back the throne that you gave to him in the first place. 
do you today need to surrender in your life to his full reign over your life? I want to challenge you. Your assignment this week is very simple. Find a place, a quiet place, where you can put a chair in front of you and imagine that to be a throne, the throne of your heart, and ask yourself, is Jesus on my throne? Or has someone or something else gotten in the way? And if it has, get rid of it. Dethrone it. Humble yourself. And I'll tell you what, if you humble yourself and put Jesus in charge, (laughs) you're going to have a great week. You're going to have a great week. No matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, you're going to be okay because pride is not a control. God bless you guys, and I'll see you next weekend.